Chuck on that short and sweet, and then Sean said it was good last Wednesday with the afterglow, which I'm excited to see that continue to develop, and as you guys get more comfortable with each other and letting God work in your lives on those afterglow, it'll be, I think, an exciting time we'll look forward to the first of each month rather than, oh no, <laughs> I hope he doesn't make me speak in tongues, <laughs> right? <laughs> That's good, you guys. Uh, I'm super happy, like I keep saying, just to be back with you guys. We prayed for you guys while we were gone, and and uh, especially this message tonight. Just I've talked to you guys and caught up throughout the last week. There's a lot of hurting people out there right now. Um, there's a lot of things you guys are going through, so God has a very special message tonight. Um, going over this, it was a struggle. This is a very complicated part of Scripture. It was for me. Maybe it's simple for others, but... Just two weeks of struggling through and seeing what he wants to speak through the scripture and making sure that it was right because there are so many guys out there teaching the scripture in a different way. And uh, so I was just like, Lord, you got to tell me what do you want to be spoken uh, through your word. So it's awesome coming here tonight because I'm totally confident in what he's given me and especially after hearing you guys. So I'm excited and, and just getting to see God touch your life. So let's start reading in chapter four of Hebrews. Start out reading one through ten. It says, Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, being not, not being mixed with faith in those who hear, heard it. Verse 3, For we who have believed do enter that rest, as he has said, so I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has spoken in a certain place on the, of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this place they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains that some must enter it, and, and those whom it was first preached to did not enter because of disobedience. Again, he de designates, designates a certain day, saying in David, Today, after such a long time as it has been said today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not have afterwards have spoken of another day. There remains therefore a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest, he has himself also ceased from his works, as God did from his. Seems very complex as you go through it. <laughs> Where is that rest? What is it residing in? Is it talking about afterlife? Is it talking about going to heaven? Is it talking about this life? And so that's what we're going to look into and see. But first, I just wanted to share the thing that it's not this. There was a time when my dad was a young man and he was in the Navy and he was on one of the aircraft carriers. He was responsible for being an electrician on the jets. I can't remember what jets they were. They were the stub-nosed type jets during Vietnam. Um, it was right at the end of it. But anyways, my dad, you know him as a very hard worker, but here he is in his youth, and, and what he used to do is he'd go out there and he'd work on these jets, and he would tie his hands up underneath the jet, and so he could fall asleep that way. <laughs> and so he'd fall asleep with it hanging like that. Because he'd have to work the nights, and there was one time that the boss came out, and he couldn't get his hands undone fast enough. <laughs> he's all trying to get up in there, and he's like, oh, my hands are all stuck. But he was seeking that rest because he was tired, you know? My dad always goofing around and doing stuff all the time. He was looking for that rest, and he found it at work. That's not what this is talking about. It's not talking about, hey, guys, it's time to sleep. You know, now that you've accepted Jesus Christ, we can all go to sleep now, and uh, it's all good. 
you know, and, and there's no responsibility there. That's not what these scriptures are talking about. It, it's far from that. Because there's a whole thing that it talks about of a, us believing, which is a chore. It really is. When we believe into those promises of, of, of what Jesus gives us and what God promised us through, through the scriptures. And really being obedient and faithful to his word. And that's where we're going to conclude at the end of tonight because it gets into how the word is living and powerful. And that's what we go to. So, with the rest, in Exodus thirty-three fourteen, we first were one of the places that we see it is God told Moses that, this is verbatim out of the scripture, it says, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And this is when God was promising Moses that, you know, this is a Mount Sinai and I want to give you rest. I'm going to give rest to the people. And so from that time, Israel knew that they were going to get rest because here it is, it's being promised to Moses that they're going to get rest. But remember what we're talking about in the context of Hebrews, that Jesus is superior, isn't he? Jesus is superior to the prophets, he's superior to the angels, and the last time we talked about it, he was superior to Moses, right? Well, this goes into the next part of being superior to Moses, that Jesus Christ is also superior to the rest that was given Israel the rest that was promised to them. And if you look at that and then you put that context in there, it makes it so much easier to understand this part of Scripture because, again, it's written to the Hebrews. So in the Hebrew mind, what is going on? Well, that supreme rest that was promised to Moses that they found in Joshua, because Joshua even says you've come into this rest being in Canaan, that Moses brought you to the other side of the Jordan, and then here you are in that rest. But then later on we see in the Scriptures that that's not where it stopped. It didn't stop with Joshua. Because Jesus is so much better, so much superior to that rest that was given to those guys. So as you look at that mind and you see that, then you really start to understand, okay, the writer of Hebrews is really trying to express to them that here is this great rest God promised the people, but here is the superior rest in Jesus Christ. And the context of Jesus Christ can be found in verse 14. If we don't have chapter 4 broken up in there and it's a continuous letter, you would find that context because in 14 it says, For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our com- com- confidence steadfast to the end. Talking about Jesus Christ right after that Psalms 95 is hit, being bring up the topic or brought up the topic of rest in that very last verse in 11, the last verse of that, that psalm that he went to. And so... Speaking of that promised land, uh, they would find rest in the Word of God through the avenue of faith. And that's this whole purpose of this scripture right here, is showing that they did not succeed in that because they had no faith. The Word of God was given to them through Moses that they would enter into this rest, but they had unbelief. They didn't believe that it was going to happen. And there's so many times. I mean, this is so applicable to us because there's so many times we're given promise after promise of, of what God wants to do in our lives. And then we come short of it because of unbelief. And it's that walking into it that shows that unbelief because we are so quick to say, no way, I believe it all. I believe everything that he's promising me. I believe that his yoke is light, that he's going to let me rest. But then we come up to that point or we have those struggles and things and then we back off from it and we don't want to pay attention to what he said to us, those promises, because all of a sudden we start taking it into our own hands and trying to work it out in our own way. And that's where it talks about those works. So in that verse 1, therefore, I think it's important that we go back and get a little bit more context. Again, I mean, I, I, I say that part of Christ in verse 14, but therefore in verse 4, if you don't go back where it says, since the promise remains of the entering the rest, well, it's like, okay, well, what does it mean about the promise remaining? What promise was made in the first place? So 
Go back to that Psalms 95. We don't have to go back to the actual Psalms, but it has it right there for us in verse 7 of chapter 3 of Hebrews. And it says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion in the day of the trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tested me and tried me and saw my works 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with that generation and said, They always go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. They missed out on the rest because of what? Unbelief, right? Question is, how many of you guys are missing out on God's rest because of unbelief? How many times have you been taught over and over that you can trust in His promises, but when it comes to it, you're so overwhelmed that you back off from His promises and start trying to figure out how to do it yourself? Don't walk away from it, what he said. He's got these promises. He already worked out things in your guys' life. That's why God was so frustrated with him. It says in verse 9, and saw my works for 40 years. I mean, how many of you guys have been walking with the Lord for 40 years? It's awesome if you have. I know some of us have been, you know, it's been only a couple years. It's, it's, it's been only a year or so, and it's been 30 years, whatever it is. The thing is, I know God has done something in your guys' life. Every time we enter into that relationship with him, there's something we, he's done in our life, and that's for us to look back on to, to see that, you know what? God did something there. His promise was fulfilled, and so I should be able to go and walk in this new trial remembering that he's already brought me through those hard times, that he promised that he's going to do this. And so in belief, I'm going to walk forward and find that rest. In verse 14, with the part where it talks about Christ, and we are partakers of Jesus. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold to the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. Over in Matthew eleven twenty-eight. Matthew eleven twenty-eight. And if you guys, the struggles you guys are going through, the, the unbelief you may be struggling with, or, or the lack of rest that you're finding, this scripture is so good. Put it on your mirror when you wake up in the morning that you can be right, reminded every single day that this is one of Jesus Christ's promises to you. This is such a great verse. I encourage you guys, either if you don't have it underlined, underline it in there if you're into doing that with your Bible, but, or write it down and print it out. But this verse is so key to with Jesus saying, and this is us being partakers of him. In Matthew 11, verse 28 through 30, it says, Come to me, all you who labor, those of you guys that are working really hard, are heavy laden, just weighed down with the problems you guys are having to go through, the stress of family. And I will give you rest. That's his promise, guys. He's going to give us rest. Verse 29, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. When it says learn from me, that's going straight back to the Word of God, isn't it? We can learn from him. And learn from me. I'm gentle, you guys. He's not going to go there and bash you and say, you should have done it this way, and I told you this a hundred times. He's gentle to us, isn't he? He's lowly in heart. He's humble. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If you guys have a heavy burden right now and you're yoked up (laughs) with something that's very hard to deal with, you guys return to Jesus Christ and those promises. Return to that rest that he's promising to give you. 
the promise remains back over in chapter 4 of Hebrews. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. So the promise is still there. It was something that was given to the Israelites and saying that you guys enter into Canaan and I will give you rest. We know that within Canaan, there was battles that they went through still, right? To us, that doesn't look like rest. And that's why I gave that example. My dad, the rest that we're not, it's not talking about all of a sudden hang your hands up in the air and go to sleep. It's not talking about that. It's talking about going in and walking in that faith, in that obedience, the things that they didn't do. And that whole generation had to be taken out. And so what happens is that they walk in that, therefore the promise remains of entering his rest. It wasn't just a thing that was fulfilled through them in the battles they had to go through, but what was going on is that it was a pointing forward to Jesus Christ and showing that, you know what we're entering into? Is this relationship where there's this belief and there's this obedience that's going to take place. You know that when they went into Canaan, if they just believed that God was going to work for them and they obeyed what he asked them to do, the walls would fall, wouldn't they? They had a great example when they first went in there with Jericho. And it had to deal with both those things, didn't it? The faith, and it had to do with the obedience and trusting in the word of God and what God said was going to happen. And what happened was God cleared it out. That was rest. They found rest in God because they didn't have to do their own works. And that's where it starts getting more visible of what this is talking about. Because so many times we rush in with our works to try to complete whatever God's called us to. Or we rush in just to make and solve a problem through our own works. We try to solve what's going on in our marriages with our own works. We try to solve our problems with our family members by our own works. And God's saying, you guys need to divorce that. You need to get that out of there. I'm giving you true rest. It's going to be on me. The burden is on me. What a great promise, right, that we can live in. And then that next part in verse 1, it says that they see, lets they, lest us fear, lest any of them seem to have come short of it. Those people not clearly believing in those promises. If you look over at 2 Corinthians 6.1, it goes right along with this scripture. 2 Corinthians 6.1, it says, we then, as workers together with him, also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. That free gift that has been given through Jesus Christ, don't receive it in vain. Another scripture is in Galatians 5.4. Galatians 5.4. Which says, You have become estranged from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by the law, you have fallen from grace. Grace has everything to do with God and nothing to do with us, except for our receiving of it, right? Like there's no works that can go and succeed and, and all of a sudden we're walking in grace because of our own works. And that's in the scriptures in chapter 4 what he's talking about. And he's really just trying to point back to that you're going to find true rest in Jesus Christ and it's not going to come through your works. Remember these Hebrew people, they want to return back to the law, what they've been brought up in, what their parents had told them, here's the do and don'ts of, of following after Jehovah. And he's trying, the writer's stopping them and saying, look, there was a great rest for the people, but there's a greater rest. There's a superior rest in Jesus Christ. In verse 2, it says, For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. 
great verse right here because a lot of people wonder, well, what happened with the people before Jesus Christ? What message did they receive? And we can go through Hebrews 11. It talks about the hall of faith there with the men that believed God's word and they acted on it. And right here it says that those that were even before Christ, B.C., the gospel was preached to them. That's a cool verse right there because God didn't leave anybody out. The gospel being preached is the good news that they don't have to work, that it's about grace. And it's so neat that that was even implemented with uh, Abraham, right? As he's going to sacrifice his son, God is the one that provided. That grace was given there. It said that he's going to provide the sacrifice. Over and over through the the old scriptures, Old Testament scriptures, it just represents what's going to happen in Jesus Christ. It's that stepping up and that understanding that was brought, not completely, as we know that Romans talks about, it was a tutor to show them and lead them to what Jesus Christ and the grace that God was going to pour out. In verse 3 of chapter 4 of Hebrews, it says, For we who have, been, we who have believed do enter that rest. As he said, So I swore in my wrath that shall not enter my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. Now God's rest has been set up since creation. That's what it's talking about. That's an interesting thing. Now, if you're going to take these meaning of these words and talk about rest being salvation in Jesus Christ, well, you can't go there with these scriptures. These scriptures are talking about what's going on is that they believed that whole system of follow by faith and believe what I'm doing and work it out. Obedience. That's been since the beginning, hasn't it? I mean, you can even see when the first sacrifice was given with, with Cain and Abel, and Abel giving his first fruits, that fruit that he would want, or that, that animal that he would want to keep so that he could make a better flock out of it, he gave it to the Lord. That faith that was given, and then there's that action that followed right after, that since the beginning. And just that whole system of God entering into that rest of just obeying what God has and having that faith that God's going to work it out in the life. In verse... We'll read down through 7. It says in verse 5 again in this, or verse 4, For he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works, and again in this place they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains that some must enter it, and those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience. And it keeps going back and forth in the scriptures, doesn't it? It either applies unbelief to them or it applies disobedience. So those are twofold. It has to be there. In verse 7, again, he designates a certain day, saying in David, today, after such a long time as it has been said, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Again, he's trying to get the Hebrew mind to exit out of what they've been taught and what they figured was the old way, and that's who they have to stick with, that old law. So he's really trying to show them that even David's saying, look, today, that means that you guys are hearing this scripture and speaking to the Israelites as they're reading through this, the Hebrew reader, and saying, you know what, today, if I'll hear his voice and not harden my heart, I can enter into that rest. Then it even applies to us right now in this time, this day. Today, guys, we can go ahead and not harden our hearts and we can enter into that rest. Some people will interpret this and try to take this word as today as they'll say that it's uh, talking about the Lord's Day, which here in the Scriptures, that's not in context. It isn't there. It's not talking about the Lord's Day. And we can even conclude or even give more support to that because of verse 13 in chapter 3 where it says, But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin, through that disobedience. And just speaking of 
today, guys. This is the time. And so just encourage us that even today, right now, God is listening to what's going on in our lives. He knows what's going on in our lives. He just is waiting for us to put that faith in action and to obey what he's asked us to do through his promises. That he's saying today, you've had these struggles going on. Well, guess what? Today is the day that you can decide to go ahead and believe what he's saying. And not in a religious sense of, I've heard this so many times, and so I know what the next step is, so okay, I'll give a little prayer, I'll, I'll say, all right, Lord, I know what this means, uh, just work it out for me. I'm going to put my hands up in the air and go to sleep, because <laughs> I'm going to find your rest. That's those part, that part where we don't back off from him and just retreat and say, you know what, I'm going to let you do the work so that I can kind of just be here. And, and I know you're the one that's going to take control, and you're going to be the one that's going to do it. Every single time when he's working out in the scriptures and every time that it's applying to that rest, it's talking about, yes, go to Jesus Christ in that faith. Listen to that promise he's given you, but here's the action that has to happen. It even talks about it later on in there. It says in verse 10, For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. That's those fleshly works. Okay, That's the things that are done in your own power. That's what it's talking about, ceasing from those works. Again, this verse has been applied to sitting down up in heaven and finally finding that rest because you're dead. Nuh-uh, that's not what it's talking about here. It's talking about giving up your own works, those fleshly works that you can sit down there and you can be with him. And it says to cease from those, but then look what it says in verse 11. It almost looks like it contradicts itself in there in the scripture because then it says, let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest. You're kind of like, what's going on? It just said to, to cease from those works, and then it says be diligent to enter into that rest. And so it's very clear in that scripture that there is a part that we need to do, but it's latching on to the Holy Spirit, taking that power that's been promised to us, walking in Jesus Christ, just like what we went through in Ephesians when we were taught Ephesians. That we're co-heirs, that we get to be with Jesus, that everything that Jesus has, he's given to us, that we put on him. And that's where it's saying, be diligent to enter into that rest. So there is an action that has to take place, but it's not of your flesh. And it's being very careful that that's happening. And again, referring back to the Hebrew people, they were so apt to go back to their flesh to succeed in something with God. That they'd have these promises in their whole life and everything they'd known was through the flesh, and that's how they thought they had to go to and receive those promises from God. And again, the writer's trying to very clearly tell them that's not how it goes. You've rested, you've sat down, you don't do that anymore. It's just like with God, after he created, he did work. God worked, but then on the seventh day, he rested. And so there, there was the former life of being that work that was done and that trying to complete the law. And now in Jesus Christ, you get to have the Sabbath. You get to have that rest in him. That no longer is it by your works that you need to get in there and try to make an appeal of God. So many religions, so many religions are looking after that, aren't they? That was one of the biggest topics that I was talking with the people in Peru, is just going over and over again of how do you guys succeed? The first thing that Valentina brought me up was these three laws of the Incas on this gourd. I was like, oh, this is sweet. She's totally giving me a door right wide open. And it was don't steal, don't murder, and don't covet. What are the laws? back from the Incas, and I asked her, I said, well, where do these laws come from? Well, the Incas. I said, okay, what about before the Incas? Well, the Incas. <laughs> I was like, no, but where did they come from? And she couldn't get the idea. She just knew that it was there with the Incas, and then her friend came up and said it was from God. I was like, there you go, but what God? 
And the thing was that they had in their mind that this law that they were given and what the Incas had gone through and what success they thought could come through that was by their own works. And so I, I laughed with Valentina. I said, Valentina, have you ever lied before? I said, I lie. I do. I, I catch myself lying every once in a while. I said, do you, honestly? She's all, she starts getting embarrassed. I was like, come on, you can tell me if you lie. And she starts laughing. She's like, yeah, I lie. I was like, all right, so you're not completing this law right here. So what's going to happen with you? How do you complete that? She's like, well, I just need to do better next time. She was trapped in that whole idea of she needed to do the work. And I got to explain to her that Jesus Christ, you don't have to do that. That we can't do it. I, I told her, I was like, Valentina, how many times have you tried not to lie? And she's like, yeah, I've done it before. And I was like, do you lie anymore? Well, of course. It's like, see, you, we can't get out of it. Who's going to rescue you? Is a Pachimama, which is Mother Earth, is, is she going to save you from that? No. I was like, okay, well, who's going to get you out of that? And she knew where it was coming, and both the women there were so cool I could see. And as we went through Jesus Christ and the blood that had to be poured out and, and cover them, and I said, you know what, I know the Holy Spirit is touching both your hearts right now. And they both just, you know, bent down and like, and I was like, don't be ashamed. You guys just come to Jesus Christ because he wants you. He'll cover you. It was so neat to get to see that, and that's exactly what he's doing. That's what he wants to do for us. We find that rest in Jesus Christ. It's not by our works that we can complete or even enter into that rest. And I know so many times that that's what's going on with us, is that we're trying to succeed in finding that rest that we're promised, but it's always through an avenue of, here's the things I need to complete, and we're doing it in the flesh. We're not sitting down before God and saying, Holy Spirit, give me the strength. Show me how this is done. I need to go into the scriptures, and I need to see where that power is. Because I'm promised that it's there. Where is it? And then what I do is I'm diligent to enter into that rest. I'm diligent because diligence means I'm going to keep going after it. I'm going to keep going for it, right? I'm not going to get frustrated and say, okay, I tried it. I'm not going to do it anymore. The system is not right. <laughs> Somebody lied to me along the way, and I'm going to go try something else. But be careful how you guys are going. Right now, as you guys are going through the things in your life, just stop and think, how have I been trying to enter into God's rest? Because I know every one of you guys, you guys are mature enough, you know that that rest has been promised to you. But the thing is, we forget sometimes is how do we enter into that? How are we do, do we show that diligence? And we'll get into that just a little bit on that diligence because it goes right back to the Word of God. That's why in verse 12 and 13, that's why he references the Word of God and its power and its living. Again, I want to reiterate on that today part in verse 13, but exhort one another daily while it is called today because, you guys, when he's talking about that scripture, it's a daily thing. It's something that we need to remember, the entering in that rest. It isn't just one of those things that all of a sudden, yeah, we've arrived. We're going to have problems again, guys. We are, and we need to remember where to go back for that rest. And that's why that verse is telling us, help each other out. Exhort each other. Like, show each other. Here's where you can find the rest. Encourage one another. Daily, while it is called today, lest any of you harden through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end, while it is said today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. In verse 16, for who having heard rebelled, indeed was it not all that came out of Egypt led by Moses? Now with whom was he angry forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? In verse 18, and to whom did he swear that he would not they would not enter the, his rest, but to those who did not obey 
So we see that they could not enter because of unbelief, putting those two together again. Now, back down into verse 8 of chapter 4. For if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not have afterward have spoken of another day. There remains, therefore, rest for the people of God. It's not something that's gone away. It's something that, again, is for today. In verse 10, For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. Now, I want to go back on, on what we had talked about. This is entering into his rest. This is ceasing from your fleshly works. And we can. You guys, we can apply it. It isn't something that's not against Scripture. We can apply this to being in heaven, of course, of seeking from these works. But it's not, we're still going to be doing things in heaven. There's only one verse I found in Revelation that even talked about rest. I thought there's a lot more. But there's one part where it says they're going to be given the robes and they can rest while they wait for their other brothers that are being martyred. Just during that time, it talks about rest. So it means that something else is going to happen after they've all brought into heaven. And it's interesting. I mean, we're going to find the rest there, of course, because we're no longer going to have this body. And thank the Lord for that. We get a rest from not having this. But when he's talking about these scriptures, in the, in the context that I found is going through this and studying through it very diligently, is that what it's talking about is, guys, cease from your fesh, fleshly works. You're not going to enter into God's rest that way. That's not belief. We have the great example of, of Abraham, don't we? He wasn't willing to wait on God for that promise of the multitude of his family, right? So what did he act out in? He was, he was tormented in his mind because here's God giving him a promise, and where is it being fulfilled? It's not. that He just keeps getting older, and it becomes more impossible day by day for him to actually have that promise received from God. So he goes into his flesh. And his wife hooks him up with the maidservant and says, here you go, somehow this is going to work, it's going to be your kid, and that's the promise. And, and it wasn't at all how God had worked it out. He didn't find God's promise through that son. He found it through the one that God had already set up. And so we get to see that example of re- resorting back to the flesh and trying to make those promises that God's given us to come true through that flesh. In verse 11, Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. This is to apply oneself to the word. That diligent to enter into that rest. That's diligently seeking and being, having faith in those promises given us. And that obedience, verse 12, it says, and here's where the word of God comes in in the context. It says, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of the soul and the spirit and of the joints of the, and the marrow. It is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Now, it seemed very odd that it's talking about all this rest, and then all of a sudden this awesome verse that we've all used before about God's word and how powerful and living it is. So where's the context in this? And it has to go back to that verse 11 where it's talking about being diligent. That that's where we have to resort back to, the word of God. Because we look even back in the context also of Israel and being led into the promised land, they had the word of God, didn't they? They had the word of God that you go in there, you take that land, it's a promised land, it's for you. And they didn't believe it. It was too big, there's, there's scary problems over there, and they didn't want to even deal with it. So they'd rather just go back to Egypt. 
Or they said, you know, we'd rather die out here in the wilderness, which they ended up getting that. But looking at the Word of God, and this is what he's wanting to do, is he's wanting to strengthen us in, in talking about the Word of God. Because if we're going to resort back to the Word of God, we also we look for a promise in that, well, what's the Word of God going to do? And that's where he explains to us that, guys, this is not just a, a novel to read. This is not just a, a self-moving proclamation or some great speaker that's writing a book that everybody's going to go and take hold of. Uh, you guys can think of some of the books out there that are pretty worthless because all they're doing is making man in his own mind more powerful to himself, but it's under the Christian name. There is a book out there, I don't know if you guys have read it or seen it, but it's, it's, it, the title of the book is The Power of I Am. And I thought when I read this or saw the front cover, I was like, oh, that should be cool see what the power of I am, and then I look and I start going through the chapters. The power of I am a child of God, the power of I am this, and <laughs> I'm like, what? They just took the, the name of God and applied it to themselves, the power of I am, and this is what I am, and, and it was completely deceiving and showing that they were over, and, and they were using God, they were using all these neat words, but it was this power that succeeded in you because you made the choice. It was important that you do the one that did it. What a false advertisement of what it is to be in him, right? I think one of the best things to explain this and the two things we're talking about with not working in the flesh anymore and being diligent to enter into that rest is Romans. Romans 7 and 8, guys. It gives a great example of what it is to be before and not finding that rest and then chapter 8 going into that rest. Let's go over there real quick. Yeah, we have time. Over to Romans 7. I don't know if you guys have ever studied through these parts of Scripture. There's... There's different debates on it and where, where Paul was when he wrote this as far as spiritually, if he was even a Christian. Um, I totally think he was in this part. I think he was pouring out his heart on what happens. And I think the biggest thing is because I know I'm saved and these things that you go through, it's like, wow. <laughs> I've definitely said this quite a few times in my life. But let's look at it real quick. Chapter 7 of Romans, verse 15 to 23 or 24. And it says, For what I am doing I do not understand, for what I will to do that I do not practice, but what I hate that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For two will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. Verse 19, for the good that I will to do, I do not do it. I do not do. But the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Now if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of, the, of God according to the inward man, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. A wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Now, I think it's a little confusing. It's kind of like the who's on first type deal. So it feels like going back and forth, but the essence of the scriptures is talking about you know, we really want to do those things. We want, to, we want to act out that righteousness that he's called us to. We always find ourselves not doing it. We return to sin, and there's this battle that's continually going on. Even in Galatians, it talks about that, the flesh warring against the spirit. 
And he comes to this conclusion in verse 24 and saying, that, Oh, wretched man that I am, basically I'm hopeless. I'm hopeless because there is no way out of this. And that's how we'll feel sometimes when we're not in God's rest. That's what we'll come to. This is hopeless. I know that God's done these things in my life. I know that he promises these things, but this is hopeless because look at all the stuff I've been trying to do. Look at this. I've been, I've been doing this with my wife. I've been you know, trying to do this with my husband to make things better. I've been doing this with my kids to make things better. With other family members. I've been doing this with work to try to make things better. I've been trying to pay this and that and trying to get all these things to work together and it's not succeeding. Oh, hopeless man that I am, a wretched man in, in, in whichever way. It's just, it's a hopelessness that you come to. And then it comes to where Paul says, who will deliver me from this body of death? This, this way that I keep acting out in my flesh. Because I keep going back to it. So who in the world is going to deliver me from it? And that's where the other part comes in. This is where the rest of Jesus comes in. In this next part in verse seven, or chapter 7, verse 25, it says, I thank God through Jesus Christ. There's the answer right there. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. In chapter 8, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of, of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. That rest, right? Verse 3, For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sin in His own Son in likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. That the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace, because the carnal mind is enmity with, against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Verse 9, but you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. And that last verse there, but if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give, you, will give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. That's just entering that rest that's succeeding. We could go on to Ephesians, but I know we've already gone through that, and you guys can see all those promises laid out there. Some of the promises, though, that we can rest in, and I wanted to go through some of these to encourage you guys. And, I mean, this is all written down before I was even able to speak to some of you, so don't think that I, I tried to do that. That's one of those cool things that I think that it's so awesome that God has these scriptures already set up for us. But in Matthew 6 would be the first promise. This is one of those things that we can go and rest in through belief in what he's saying. In Matthew 6, 25. Matthew 6, 25. Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sorrow nor weep nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more of value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? 
So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that, uh, that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you little of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first. And guys, here's where it comes the answer. It's so cool because what it's talking about is not just basically our clothes and our food, but it's just talking about what we have to have to live each day, right? And he's saying, rest in me. And so that's why he says that your heavenly Father already knows what you guys need. He already knows what you need for each day. And then verse 33, But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. I think that defined rest. I mean, we're concerned every day that we, if we don't have a job, if we're not working hard enough to get something, then all of a sudden it's all going to be gone. And you know it would be if you guys just rest in your flesh. If you think that succeeding in, in your life right now is, is about you doing it. And I'm not taking away from the responsibility that we have because it says in the Scriptures very clear that we have the responsibility to do that. Like We need to be working in things. But to reside in that and say that it's only because of me that my family is going to survive, that's, that's where it starts going wrong. God knows what your family needs. He knows what you need. Your priority should be seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all of those other things are going to be added to your life. That's rest. When all I have to do is seek after him. That's, here's the word of God right here, cutting and piercing, right? Next one is in Hebrews 13, 5. Hebrews 13, 5, and it says, Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be content with what he's already given you guys. And that can go clear across the board. That's not just talking about materialistic stuff. Be content with who or what he's given you. And again, that promise is just shouted out again where it says that, I've lost it. Where was it? Right there. I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's that rest again. When you guys are going through that stuff and you're wondering, okay, I, I wish I had that or I need that in my life, to, you go back to the promise and that rest there. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And next one, and I guess I could have done these in order so you guys didn't have to flip back and forth. Let's go back to Matthew. Matthew 5. This is one that actually might come up pretty quick because I know we don't... Find it very often. I know some of you guys deal with it in your workplace and maybe even people that you've shared Christ with, but this could be something that's coming up pretty soon um, if we end up going into some kind of a crazy war or whatever. Um, but it's talking about being persecuted. In Matthew five ten through 16, there's some promises in here that we can rest on. And I know if you guys have read the, the different books from people that have been persecuted because of, of believing in Jesus, and, and there's... Uh, uh, I can't remember the guy's last name, but it was in Romania when it used to be communist, and then also in Russia and, and um, different places like that in, in China. And these guys always go back to these scriptures. It's such a big strength to them, and that's where they find the rest. 
I mean, here they are being tortured and, and horrible things, but they're finding the rest in these scriptures. Blessed are those who are persecuted. In verse 10 of chapter 5 of Matthew, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Something you can expect to happen, but you know what? You're going to have an awesome reward for all eternity. Such a short time here on this earth that you're going to be persecuted. And then you have that reward to look forward to that you're going to enjoy for all eternity. Big difference there. Big difference in time. Hebrews 10. (laughs) This is funny. I didn't even know I wrote it down like this. Bouncing back and forth like that. Keep you guys awake. Hebrews 10, 32 and 39 also goes right along with Matthew. You guys don't have to turn there if you don't want to. If your fingers are getting tired, you can rest. Verse chapter 10, verse 32 says, But recall the former days in which after you were illuminated, you endured a great struggle with suffering, partly while you were made a spectacle both by reproaches and tribulations, and partly while you became companions of those who were so treated. For you had compassion on me and my chains, and joyful accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and enduring possession for yourselves in heaven." Remember that scripture, you guys. That's going to be one I think that we'll return to sometime in our lifetime. If it starts happening where they're going to come after us Christians, usually the first thing they'll start taking away is your access to possessions, your access to be able to, to go out and buy anymore. And even the scriptures talk about that coming. So, hey, great scripture to go back to and just remember where our possessions are really held. And you know where God uh, is and they're not ever going to be taken away from us, the ones that are everlasting. Last scripture. I think this is so applicable for today. And I don't know how many of you guys are actually worrying about it or just frustrated with it, but the elections. So over in Proverbs 21.1. Proverbs 21.1 says, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Like the rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. It's another promise, you guys. Whatever's going to happen with this election, you just have to remember that that guy's heart, that woman's heart, is in God's hands. He's going to turn it whichever way. Whether our nation needs to be judged and needs to have a wake-up call to go back to him, he may use that evil woman in that way. I'm not going to say any names, but... (laughs) Or who knows, you know, we might have all of a sudden a war and we might get to have this privilege of having our president for a little bit longer than we now have. Who knows? But really, where is our hope going to go back to? It's going to go back to the Lord. I can go and rest in him and know this is his world. He's going to work out his will. I just need to be obedient and remain in that faith that he's called me to. That's my application to my life of Jesus, not who's going to win and how that's going to affect my life, my job, my, my business, or any of that. So God leads us to rest if only we would believe on his word. That's the conclusion of it. God leads us to rest if only we would believe on his word. That's exactly what happened with Israel. They were led by his word, but they didn't enter into it because of unbelief. And so just be encouraged, you guys, the things you guys are going through. Am I doing it in the flesh that I'm trying to succeed? I'm trying to fulfill these promises given me. I'm looking for that rest by the way that I'm doing stuff. Or have I sat down and taken it very serious, this promise he's given me, and I've searched through his scriptures and just yielded to his way and said, Lord, what do you want me to do? How can I be diligent to enter into that rest that you've promised me? He'll answer you. He does every single time. Because he's faithful, isn't he?
Lord, we just thank you so much for your word. We thank you for your encouragement that you bring us to your word, Lord. And we need to be reminded every single day, like you said today, and, and, and that we need to enter into your rest and we need not to try to succeed in our own flesh, in our own ways, Lord. And I just ask that you would continue to teach us, Lord. I know you're so merciful and patient with us, and I just praise you for that. I thank you so much that you're such a God of love. And just how you, you remind us in the scripture that you're humble, you know, that you're, you're not quick to anger. And I just thank you so much, Lord, because so many times we're, we're put in this fierce state of we've got to please you, and if we don't succeed at pleasing, you're going to be angry with us. Lord, I ask that you would just help us to enter into your rest and not listen to the lies of the enemy, Lord. And I just pray for the congregation, too, just these people that are here tonight and the struggles they're going through, the hard things that they're having to face, Lord, that every time that it comes up, that they'd retreat back to you, Lord that they would search your scriptures, they would know that it is absolutely living and powerful and it's able to pierce and see exactly what's going on. That if we are doing it in our own heart, we're going to get to see it right there in front of us. That it's not of you and that we can go back and just repent and fall before you and let you do your work in us that you've promised to do, Lord. And so these, wor- these, these ways that you've already worked out for us to walk in, like you tell us in Ephesians, Lord, I ask that we would be diligent to walk in them. And Lord, that we could just be a success for you. And we'd bring you the glory that you've asked us to bring you, Lord. And uh, we just pray this in your name. Amen.